0: We are two friends trying to gain perspective on the remarkable world around us. I'm Jet Jones. I'm Mackenzie DeMaio. And this is Friends Fascinated. If you like what you hear today, don't forget to review and subscribe. This week, we are going to deep dive into nature versus nurture. This week's fascinating fact is from Castanova. She messaged us on Instagram. She also has a pop-in Instagram page called Barista Times. And she told us, for her fact, Pi is all around us, like the number Pi, mm-hmm. P-I. She said, The way the Earth is and how people are programmed is designed using Pi, 3.14. Pi controls the path of winding rivers. It also is found in human behavior. Those who study human behavior in the stock market notice the equation quite significantly. Everything we do from things we say to the way we move is controlled by 3.14. That's crazy. I know. That reminds me of
1: the golden ratio, which I don't know a ton about. I believe it's different, but a mathematical equation or pattern that is seen in nature that repeats. And Mm -hmm. so I think that's so fascinating. Like, I don't know Mm -hmm. hardly anything about math or science, but (laughs)
0: like, it's so cool. (laughs) It's so spooky to think like, if someone in the world could just study these numbers enough, we could like figure out the meaning of life or something, (laughs) you know? Yeah,
1: that's super cool.
0: I actually, when I was in charter school... We had this task of memorizing Pi, and I still know a lot of Pi. You ready? I'm ready. 3.14159265358979323846. I can't confidently go on. Oh, my gosh. There were kids in my class. That's insane. Who could remember, like, two computer pages of 12-point font numbers.
1: I could do like, I think 3.1415926. And that's all I've ever been able to remember. But it was never like a game or anything. Like I could hear you have like kind of a song
0: to it. Yeah. Um, It was at the very top of our whiteboard and the teacher had pie written out all the way across multiple lines. And we had to put our initials by the number we got to. (laughs) And it was like our fun game before we started our warm ups at the whiteboard or whatever.
1: That's pretty cool. But
0: I was at a charter school, so kids were very competitive (laughs) and people got really far. So yeah,
1: I remember when I went to a charter school, um, one of the girls, she was a couple grades above me, but. I remember she had a test where she had to name every single U.S. president in order.
0: Whoa. And that
1: was like an exam. I was like, oh, that's terrible. Yep. Thankfully, I didn't go to the, that school funny. that year because <laughs> I don't think I could have done that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Pretty nice knowledge. Anyway. Right. Well, thank you for sending us that fact. That's super cool.
0: Yes. Super cool.
1: Everyone go follow her Instagram page. We are former baristas. So yes. we definitely love seeing all of the posts about
0: baristas and we can relate. So yes. Thank you, Casanova. Every episode, we will pick one fascinating fact to be read at the beginning of each episode. All you need to do to participate is email us at at gmail.com or you can just message us on Instagram. If we pick your fact, we'll read it on our next episode and give you a shout out. We will also mail you a sticker for participating.
1: Yes, and we always love getting the facts and reading what you guys send in. And it's very fitting that this week we have a nature-related fact because of our topic being nature versus nurture. So we did a lot of research on this topic. It's very... Scientific, (laughs) so we did our best. Um, But essentially, nature versus nurture is the debate of whether human behavior and personality are determined by the genes you receive from your birth parents or the things that you are exposed to in life once you're born. So it's pretty, I mean, it's gone back and forth. I know, Jet, you have a lot of the kind of definitions behind it. Mm -hmm.
0: So I'll start out with some of the nature definitions and get people a little bit more familiar with it. Um, You'll hear terms like, oh, it's just in my blood or this is in my DNA when they're talking mm-hmm. about something they're passionate about um, and they're thinking about how they're 50% their mom and 50% their dad mm-hmm. as to why they are who they are. And for me, I really wanted to set out like a baseline for myself so I could understand it further because I don't know about you, Mackenzie, but where I started in my mind with the whole nature versus nurture, I think all of us, if we took a basic science class growing up, We did hear about this term Mm -hmm. and generally the idea in my head that I had of it was your parents raise you a certain way and they make you who you are and that's your quote unquote nurture aspect. Mm -hmm. And then the nature aspect was you're born with whatever DNA is in there and Mm -hmm. it's completely predetermined for you. And it, it doesn't depend on what you're subjected to at all.
1: Yeah. In school, I learned about like, I think it's the Punnett squares where you do like the biology and you see mm-hmm. what genes you can get and what you're going to look like and all those factors. And then, you know, you hear of, and I think we see it in media too, like TV shows and stuff now where you see people that they're just like their parents and and i mean a lot of us are very similar to our parents because we were raised by them Mm -hmm. it's more than just the way you look and i think um there's probably lots of very dramatic tv shows and movies about like (laughs) long lost siblings or parents or like like you meeting your biological parents and they're just like you and like they can also play the piano or sing really well or they also do that one like strange mannerism yeah. that you do and so mm-hmm. i i don't think it's maybe quite that way mm-hmm. i mean maybe it is i i don't know I yeah i don't have i don't think i have any
0: estranged siblings or parents oh <laughs> uh, yeah yeah but after doing some more research we both learned like how complex it is and it was so much deeper than what i remembered us covering back in whatever maybe it was like freshman year of high mm-hmm. school or maybe even earlier
1: well and there's so many studies around this and like different things that they focus on so mm-hmm. it's super interesting
0: yeah so for me the place that i started to get myself a baseline on the nature aspect was about DNA. I was really curious, like, if I'm 50% my mom and 50% my dad, what Mm -hmm. could that truly determine or what does that even mean? And frankly, I mean, neither of us work in the science world anymore (laughs) or I mean, we've never worked in the science world, but I mean, as far as like even homework. (laughs) Fair. mean, We
1: we haven't touched a science subject in years. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe since
0: a little bit in college and then never again. So I needed to get reminded of what this whole nature mm-hmm. or DNA was. So basically, DNA contains a record of your ancestors. Um, but frankly, you aren't a carbon copy of those people. Um, the particular mix of DNA that you inherit is unique to you, mm-hmm. and you receive 50% of your DNA from each of your parents who receive 50% of their DNA from their parents and so on. So for you, sure you're 50% half like your mom, half your dad. But way out there, there was an original people <laughs> yep. making you, and those your people. two percent, your great,
1: great, great, great something. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, so DNA itself is an extremely long chain of molecules that contain all the information necessary for the life functions of a cell. Mm-hmm. The individual molecules that make up DNA are called nucleotides. There are only four nucleotides that are ever used, and these are adenine thymine guanine and cytosine a strand of dna is much like an extremely long sentence that uses only four letters dna actually has two strands much like a zipper and the nucleotides are like the teeth of that zipper so what i'm describing right now is everybody's familiar with that um double helix Mm -hmm. and the way that dna replicates itself is by unzipping down the middle
1: And when it's
0: floating around inside the cell looking for a pair and to, like, um, reproduce itself, Mm -hmm. it can never match with anything except it's matching nucleotide. Mm -hmm. So that's how it's always sure that it is cloning itself. So if you think of it, like each pair within the DNA. They're like matching
1: puzzle pieces. Yes.
0: When it unzips itself and those two pieces float around, mm-hmm. the only thing that's going to connect with them is the matching set. Yeah. So that's how they're whatever's happening in there is certain that it's a clone of itself. Okay. So, and that leads me to chromosomes, which these are the chains of nucleotides in the human DNA that are wound up and compacted into 46 chromosomes or two sets of 23 that are found in the nucleus of the cell. The DNA is held together by proteins called histones, which help keep the shape of the chromosomes. So basically these chromosomes are, in science class, if you can remember, they look like little X's Mm -hmm. that are floating around. Those are... You get 50% of those from your parents when you're created in one little cell. Because if you think of an egg and a (laughs) spermie that go and fertilize this egg... Half the DNA is in the sperm and half the other DNA is in the egg. Mm -hmm. And when they combine, they create these pairs of chromosomes. And the 23rd pair is what determines if you are male or female because males are XY and females are XX. And so it's determined by the sperm whether you're a male or a female Mm -hmm. when you're created in that little cell. But then that leads me to when you are a cell in the womb that is fertilized, your cell then starts splitting, dividing, and creating a being. And those chromosomes are basically what we refer to as what's in your genes. Mm -hmm. Um, Genes are the functional regions of a genome. They're the blueprint for all the useful bits and pieces in our cells. Genes contain the information that tell us how the cell can make a particular protein. Proteins themselves are just chains of amino acids. A gene gives the instructions for making the amino acid chain. And proteins are the things that are running our cells and deciding what happens when and where. So you can imagine in the womb when a baby is being made... They're dividing and recreating and reproducing in there to create a being. But we all know that we have things like skin cells or heart cells and um, whatever is in that nucleus and whatever proteins are in there are what are telling those cells what they are creating and when. Mm -hmm. So when you're in the womb, you're making a, a new being, which is crazy. Um, but in your body, us as human beings all have our own individual cells and mm-hmm. genes within those cells that determine how we're built and how we're made. And it's really crazy. That's mind I know. Some of that obviously determines how you look because you can imagine mm-hmm. if you have skin cells that determine how much melanin you have in your skin, that determines your, your skin color. Mm-hmm. That means a lot for your societal interactions, you know, and already you can see how that could tie to nature versus nurture. Mm -hmm. What's in your genes or what's in your cells can determine your experience in life. Mm -hmm. It's really crazy. And then something I listened to was a a quick TED talk about um, genes. And one thing that she mentioned in the TED talk was how just within your entire gene sequence. So as I mentioned before, all of those pairs, within the cell that create the chromosomes determine exactly the code to who you are. And there are like a bajillion numbers per Mm -hmm. each person because as we mentioned, those genes or chromosomes were passed down from person to person to person to person (laughs) to make you who you are. And so obviously everyone's code is just a tiny bit different in x and y and z way or whatever (laughs) Mm -hmm. numbers or letters i mentioned before as far as what makes you you but one thing she pointed out is there's something in your dna code there's a specific letter in there that defines if you can digest lactose which is just one of the many examples of Mm -hmm. something that can make things different for you i guess which i don't know why this blew my mind so much but i feel like It's not common knowledge for a lot of people of like, why am I allergic to milk? It Mm -hmm. seems like a lot of people are like, for some reason, I can't digest milk anymore. La-di-da. And why would that be? Well, apparently in this TED Talk, I learned that a lot of um, infants or prepubescent beings on the planet, a lot of mammals obviously drink milk to survive. That's Mm -hmm. their main way that they're brought up. Well, that... Gene, then, as you age, codes out of your DNA and you can no longer digest the lactose in milk. And the only people that it is common, and again, depends on their sequencing in their DNA, um, but in Eastern Europe is one of the main places that you can have this one letter (laughs) that allows you to drink milk to your heart's desire to the rest of your life. So you can digest milk without you know, a lot of us know the repercussions (laughs) of what happens if you have some milk when your body doesn't agree with it. And I just thought that was so crazy. That one Mm -hmm. tiny, one little letter in your DNA (laughs) sequence can determine if you're going to have a really bad night after you eat ice cream. (laughs) (laughs) It's like those lucky Eastern Europeans who have that one letter can, you know. Well, yeah, and that Like, at least especially, like, in
1: America, a lot of the food we make has milk or butter or some form of dairy in it. It blew my mind. Yeah, but other cultures, that's not as common because... I don't don't know if it's because they don't eat it regularly that it evolved in such a way they don't have that gene or vice versa. But, yeah, it's crazy. It is
0: crazy. And it's that's one thing I was surprised where it's so common how much dairy we Mm -hmm. all have. I mean, of course, and I was even venting to my husband I was like why is it only in like the past five years we have things like almond milk and hemp milk and oat milk like popularized like. Yeah.
1: like I remember soy milk when I was younger but that was it
0: yeah and I mean I've been to like naturopath doctors before about stomach issues like when I was a kid and he said not to drink soy milk because that oh. could like I think especially for women it could carry estrogen in it like extra oh, that you wouldn't I've want i never heard that I know that. I mean that I have no idea if that's true <laughs> yeah me either so don't quote me on that but it's just crazy to think out of everyone's DNA, there's this one letter and it's very mm-hmm. unlikely to have that into adulthood you can digest milk.
1: Well, and the crazy thing about everything you said, which like that's so scientific, so thank you for explaining yeah. it in a way that I can <laughs> finally understand. Yeah. Um. All of that is just the physical side of how DNA affects every single individual person individually, mm-hmm. whereas there's this whole other side and that's where the debate comes in about the intangible, the non-physical attributes that you maybe get from your parents or from society Mm -hmm. or all of the other factors in your life once you're born yeah and so the dna sets like the foundation but everything can well not everything a lot can change (laughs) after the day you're born
0: yeah and so an example of your dna being predetermined for you and it affecting your life is something like huntington disease Um, This disease is inherited in an autosomal dominant manner. This means that having a change or a mutation in only one of the two copies of the gene is enough to cause the condition. When a person with Huntington disease has children, each child has a 50% chance to inherit the mutated gene and develop the condition, but something to keep in mind with this is that if this were true for all like diseases Mm -hmm. everyone who like whose parent has cancer you'll just assume that you would have cancer Mm -hmm. which we know isn't the case it's not like every disease you have is Mm -hmm. predetermined by your genes but some are more likely like i think
1: diabetes is one that's
0: very commonly
1: passed down Mm -hmm. and i think I mean, even heart conditions and and various things like that, but some are not.
0: Yeah. So it's just one example of eh, DNA does play a huge part, but maybe not every part. Mm -hmm. Um, For example, one thing that I did see was something that we all know, like smoking, can Mm -hmm. cause a mutation in your genes or your cells to then reproduce improperly and cause lung cancer. So that's just one example Mm -hmm. of how nurture can affect how your genes mutate and what can happen within your body.
1: Well, and one thing that was crazy, it might've been the same TED talk, it might've been a different one where they talked about um, smoking and how it can affect your children and your children's Mm -hmm. children and your children's children's children you
0: don't think about that what tiny letter you're passing on to your Mm -hmm. babies
1: and there were so many things that they explained whereas like even certain decisions you make about what you eat and how you take care of yourself will affect your children's children's children Mm -hmm. etc like it's not just you and so like they even said like Try not to feel guilty about everything you do for the rest of your life, but also like, keep it in mind, be aware aware that this has an effect on the evolution of your kin, Mm -hmm. I guess. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: Ooh, it's crazy. No pressure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But that's basically all I had as far as um, nature goes. Mm -hmm. And so I'll dive in a little bit to nurture. Um, So, basically, a baseline type information I wanted to set out was basically just on human development in general. Um, In college, I did take a human development class and there were some things that like blew my mind as far as like where you're at as far as age and brain development that can affect who you are and what you do and um, like how your view on the world is formed Mm -hmm. based on these like monumental stages in your development
1: well and i remember learning in psychology that like your brain doesn't stop developing until you're 25
0: yeah our brains are still developing i know it's crazy (laughs) it's crazy trying to become better people we'll try (laughs) um so basically human development is a pretty predictable process because generally most humans develop at a similar rate Um, of course this can vary person to person depending on you know your dna your parents your nurture, your nature, but we'll get to that. Um, So in infancy, typically the first year of life is the most important stage of human development. Many physical milestones occur during this stage as an infant gains control over its body. However infants must rely on others to meet most of their needs and they learn how to trust other people as their needs are met Hmm. they need to feel the security in order to properly develop both physically and emotionally wow intense right very (laughs) so that brings me to the whole like cry it out theory like "Mm." (laughs) i wonder if that's good or bad because you know like yeah that's because interesting how early can you teach your baby about self preservation Mm -hmm. like i mean not too early because obviously they die without you but it's just kind of crazy to think that in the first year of life the coding or whatever is happening in our brains, whatever neurons are connecting to teach us something mm-hmm. about trust is yeah. formed on our first year of existence, which none of us can remember.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's oh crazy. Gosh. And then the next stage in human development is childhood, during which children start to explore and develop a sense of independence. Eventually, children learn to make their own decisions and they discover that their actions have consequences. (laughs) Terrible twos. (laughs) Yes. As they learn and grow, they develop a sense of self. Children need to be nurtured so that they develop self-confidence instead of self-esteem issues. Achieving a healthy level of self-confidence helps children stay motivated to achieve. A child also needs guidance as they begin to test out new skills and gain confidence in their decision-making. Again very important when you mm-hmm. think about who you're becoming yeah. like ugh, self-confidence is such an issue <laughs> like, with is. so many oh people like, yes ugh, that's huge no pressure of parents <laughs>
1: <laughs> well yeah and like I know that there's a lot of I think studies and just various things about like even the amount of human like touch and contact you get from your parents can have a really big factor mm-hmm. on your development through your infancy and your childhood that kind of stuff as a huge impact and that's just
0: so mind-blowing to think about yeah so the next stage is adolescence uh during adolescence i'll try to forget it <laughs> yeah seriously young men and women are primarily concerned with finding their identity and expressing who they are in the world puberty causes many physical changes to take place and adolescents must adapt to their changing bodies all of these changes can make adolescence a confusing and stressful period Mainly yep. for girls. <laughs> no pun intended there. As adolescents try to find their place, they may experiment with different roles and make attempts to separate from the authority figures. Mm-hmm. They're also getting used to their bodies and trying to find out where they belong. They may try out different hairstyles and hobbies in an attempt to create an image of themselves that they're comfortable with. Oh, boy, that's a hard one. <laughs> I that's know I did. A whole episode. Yeah, so. <laughs> I tested the water's the heck out of the waters when i was an adolescent so uh this is like as you can imagine probably ages mm,
1: i would say like
0: 11 to like
1: nine, 17 nine, not younger nine? Nine to Oh, probably 17
0: probably yeah, yeah. The, the tough years are the tough years yeah Yeah, i was
1: such a brat at 15 (laughs) like oh oh, man
0: those were i think you and i had that hit yeah i think so
1: oh man and it was like you're so close to like at least for us being able to drive and getting some independence Mm -hmm. and yeah it's it's a rough time
0: yeah it is (laughs) so as you can imagine i mean i'm not even done talking about human development obviously but those three stages just from being born to like hitting puberty predetermine so much Mm -hmm. about your worldview it's kind of miraculous like hey like look at us we're only 24 (laughs) right now we haven't been out of those stages for Mm -hmm. very long and already I feel a lot more well adjusted but also yikes
1: yeah well and people like when you look at I mean I feel like people talk about when they go to therapy like all you talk about is your childhood Mm -hmm. and like the things that went well or the things that you wish were different and like that like those things don't just go away. And some of mm-hmm. the things that affect you as a child, like you're not going to stop thinking about them even when you're like 50 years old because mm-hmm. they're going to have a big impact. Yeah. And I would say, at least in my experience, those are also like the cringiest years in a lot of ways where it's like, <laughs> I don't want to <laughs> think about those. <laughs> it's yeah. traumatic for me to mm-hmm. remember stupid things that you do and say because you just don't realize.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Can we move on? <laughs> yes, <laughs>
0: absolutely. And then the next stage, which we are experiencing right now, is adulthood. Ooh, doesn't um,
1: feel like it, but yeah.
0: we are. Yep. Early adulthood involves few physical changes, but it's a really important time for emotional development. As young adults decide where they want to live, who they want to live with, and what type of work they want to do. And then you become a middle adult or middle-aged, and then you become a senior. And basically, in those times, you're just... I feel like it levels out. Yeah, it levels out, but you're still, like, emotionally growing. But it's not such a, like... I feel like when you're a kid, you're a journal full of pages, and you are using whatever pen you find to scribble down notes as you go along. And then by the time you're an adult the book is full, but you just have to go in and cross things out and maybe make some edits and hope that it's okay (laughs) type of thing. Yeah. So anyway, that's the baseline of human development as far as just like notable milestones as far as why you become who you become. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think at this point, it's a little more obvious that the debate isn't necessarily nature or nurture Mm -hmm it's a combination of the two
1: yeah i i think the dna you know the the nature kind of sets that foundation but they have to work together and build on each other in a lot of ways and so over the years people like scientists it's all bounced back and forth there have been times where we think you get every single thing from your parents because that's how it's got to be but then there's also been the mindset and the theories that a baby is a blank slate the day they're born like Anything can affect Man, who they are. I wish that was true. Yeah, it. <laughs> in some ways, that would be really nice. the The blank slate theory has been pretty much abandoned by the 2000s, but that was definitely a thought process for a while. Was that everything can basically fresh start? It can be the baby can be anything by the time they're an adult, but science basically has proved that it's a combination
0: of everything that happens because mm-hmm.
1: it's all very
0: important. Yeah. And the reason why we wanted to cover this was because it seemed like every episode where we were talking about whether a Wiccan would choose to be a Wiccan Mm -hmm. or why a psychopath would become a psychopath or just like why people choose the paths in life that they choose. I mean, even with furries, we talked a little bit about like maybe some disassociation with your reality or your being or what body you're in or Mm -hmm. something. Um, so all of that can be affected by either your DNA or like how you're likely by your predetermined coding system, Mm -hmm. whether you're subjected to those things or not easily. Um, but also there's the fact that depending on where you live and what you look like and who your parents are and how much money they have Mm -hmm. and all of that can just like put a damper or completely Mm -hmm. like pivot who you are? Well,
1: and in a lot of ways, that's like the privilege that people talk about a lot nowadays is the circumstances that you grow up in, they do have a big impact. And in some ways, they might make things a lot easier. In some ways, they might make things a lot harder. Mm -hmm. And so some of those things, that that's just part of the way it's going to be, unfortunately, in some circumstances. But there's so many factors that can play into it. And it's so interesting because... There are situations, like, for example, you and I, we grew up differently. Mm -hmm. Like, we had similarities, but we had different, I mean, I would say family incomes, different, like, we lived in different geographical areas. We had a different number of siblings. We went to different types of school. all of that. Mm -hmm. But when we met, it was like, oh, my gosh, (laughs) I'm meeting someone that understands me and is like me. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you can grow up in a very different household, but still – be very similar. Mm -hmm. Whereas for example like my brother and I grew up in the exact same house (laughs) and we aren't that far apart in age and we are incredibly different. Mm -hmm. And so I mean that proves that it's more than DNA but it's more than both because it's not even just the nurture of the people in your house. It's also the nurture and I think the word nurture maybe like it's not just the nurture you receive from your parents. It's the circumstances of everything surrounding you. It's, It's
0: it would a better word for it would be just like your overall Life experiences, exactly.
1: Yeah, the L- the lifestyle you live and all of that. So the experiences that you have are more than just your home life because it's mm-hmm. going to be affected by the schools you go to, the
0: friends you make, what grade you're in, who's mm-hmm. in your grade, who your teacher is,
1: yeah, <laughs> what shoes
0: you wore to school that one day where you could have been made fun of or not. <laughs> like there's yep. so many
1: crazy factors. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's so much, and especially with things so rapidly changing when you're younger, like the height you are whether you're older Mm -hmm. or younger in your class whether you're the oldest friend or the youngest friend all of those things they just have those subtle changes that can have a big impact and maybe they don't have an impact at all but it's it's very interesting and
0: it's also your perspective on their impact Mm because if you look at two people who maybe were subjected to the same tragedy let's say if we're going horrible a school shooting Mm -hmm. right Someone could walk away from that experience. Of course, they're going to walk away with some, like, tragedy. They'll be sad or however, react like, reaction that they're going to have. But after some healing process and some perspective, and again, who knows? Is this nature or is this nurture? Whether one of them can never go in public places again because they're terrified or the other person moves on and set claims that they're, like, a survivor and that they're stronger mm-hmm. because of it. It's like... It's also such a mental game and how you are, like, at processing your experiences. It's crazy.
1: And part of that takes me back to at one point in a college class, I learned about internal versus external locus of control. And basically, it's the concept that if you have an internal locus of control, that essentially means that you believe that you have the power to change the circumstances in your life and you very much – hold yourself accountable for the way your life goes and the decisions you make whereas if you have an external locus of control it's kind of I would ca- compare it to someone who thinks that like fate is out there making life happen the way it is like you can't change much mm-hmm. about your life because it's it's just supposed to be a certain way and
0: yeah and you don't I know a lot of people they interpret the success of their life based on their parents' or yeah. mentor's True. opinion of that. Mm-hmm.
1: But I've always thought that's interesting because I can see that in my own life. I Like we took a quiz on it to answer certain questions about, I don't remember any of them, but basically whether or not you believe you can change your circumstance or not. Mm-hmm. And so I know I scored as having an internal locus of control more strongly that I have. I tend to believe that it's up to me to make my life what I want it to be, whereas mm-hmm. I've known a ton of people who – it kind of looks like in a way that they, I guess, let life happen to them and they wait to see what happens. They're Mm -hmm. not as active of a part of making those decisions. And Mm -hmm. so like things like that can have a big impact on how your life goes, especially in those like formative years, like in college when you're still like where those decisions are, more important Mm -hmm. and have a bigger impact on the rest of your life.
0: Well I think a lot of that actually comes from and this makes me wonder so if we jump back to the human development part Mm -hmm. they say um, that children are developing their self-esteem or Mm -hmm. their sense of self and I feel like I mean, what would you assume childhood is? I think it. they said, like, a year and a half to mm-hmm. when you hit puberty, to adulthood roughly. To
1: almost. Or, yeah, I guess puberty.
0: You could say, possibly, that that was determined by how you were nurtured at those ages, mm-hmm. whether you look internally or externally. Like, that could be the yeah. difference between your parents having a dialogue of, like, do you see what you could have done better or what you mm-hmm. could have changed or what you want to do to fix this situation? Mm-hmm. Or a parent saying... I don't approve of you doing that like you're in trouble because you're a bad kid right now Mm -hmm. or or the opposite where oh you're my pride and joy I never do anything wrong yeah all (laughs) those things like it could have such a huge difference on whether you're looking internally Mm -hmm. or externally for that type of reassurance or your Mm self-confidence as far as your belief on how life is determined for you, or you determine your life for yourself.
1: Yeah, and I would say that it's there must be something more to it than just the parents' influence, though. Of course, yeah, like with for everything, sure. because like I can see those differences in my siblings and like other people I know, siblings and that locus of control and what kind of how much they feel like they can impact their own life. And so there's a lot of studies about siblings and where they fall in the family and how that affects it. And so there is evidence to show that the family is very important in forming that personality. And siblings are often thought to have like almost a strategic competition subconsciously for parental resources, (laughs) for attention. And um, they even create like niches within the family for Mm -hmm. kind of I I don't know it's kind of like the whole high school thing where you you get a different type of attention depending on the niche that you're in and Mm so there there's a lot of studies about it and the evidence is kind of inconclusive just because it's hard to study this again because the nature versus nurture factors (laughs) yeah but yeah like things for example I did some research and older siblings are believed to be more responsible and focused on pleasing the parents which Mm -hmm. I would say rings true for my experiences and I mean I'm the youngest and so are you yep um But for example, men who were older siblings tend to be more emotionally stable, persistent, socially outgoing, and willing to assume responsibility and take initiative, Mm -hmm. kind of that leadership role. And it said that firstborns are more likely to be managers or in an occupation that does require a leadership ability um, or social ability or the big five personality traits. Hmm. which the big five personality traits came up a few times uh, in the research that i did and basically they are traits that can be inherited um, this was basically defined in the 1970s by a famous research study and they narrowed down five factors of personality which are openness conscientiousness extroversion agreeableness and neuroticism and so those are considered the big five factors in anyone's personality that whether or not they are open or conscientious or all of these factors Hmm. have a big impact on I guess the rest of your personality or your life like those are the core foundation like the pillars of what your personality is going to be like Mm -hmm. and I can see that like simply being an introvert or an extrovert has so much impact on your entire life Uh, yeah again a very common difference between my brother and i like (laughs) we have similar like we've done the myers-briggs quizzes and things and like we're very similar in those which kind of surprised me because i typically think we're very different but the only difference was that he was the extrovert version and i was Mm -hmm. the introvert version it's like wow that has such a big impact.
0: Well, I and That's think, just one of the five. Again, that comes back to like the inward or outward mm. reassurance. Like that's I true. feel like a lot of extroverts might, they find their energy from that external source of either reassurance or just mm-hmm. interaction and then introverts are the opposite where they're like, mm-hmm. No, the is in my mind and I need to sit and think about this for <laughs> a while. That's true. Yeah,
1: let me dwell on this for the rest of my life. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs>
0: Can you tell that's us?
1: <laughs> but yeah, and like I've, I'm assuming most people have heard of what's called middle child syndrome or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like That's my husband. <laughs> that's my husband too. <laughs> Uh, Yeah.
0: So I don't know. It's Man, like that child order thing must make a big difference. It is.
1: There's like studies and books about this. And so I don't know a ton about it, just the the research that I've done. But the reason I originally found out about this, a girl that I used to work with had read a book about it and she was like, oh, this is my family to a T. Wow. And so it's super interesting. And then like as far as younger siblings, which Or us uh younger siblings are thought to be more easygoing and more sociable um with the need to create those niches within the family Mm -hmm. probably because the other the older siblings are more defined so they kind of need to find the thing that makes them different yeah Uh, and swedish studies show that younger siblings tend to spend longer in education which i thought was really interesting Mm -hmm. and so i don't know if that's specific to sweden or not but Mm. i thought that was pretty a pretty interesting fact yeah Um, There, like I said, there's little conclusive evidence on these relationships because it's very limited to the type of data you need and the requirements for even studying this. And there's like a bajillion factors. Um, So for example, like you're only going to have older siblings. If there's multiple children. Um, So there's probably a lot of studies around only children. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, so older children are going to come from larger families. Parents that choose to have larger families are just inherently different Mm -hmm. than families that choose to have less children. Yeah. And mothers of older children tend to be older when they have the youngest siblings, if that makes sense. So a mother of like a sixth child is obviously older than them when they have their first child. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So like... I mean, we both actually—we have so many similarities. We both had parents that were maybe a little bit older than our mm-hmm. friends' parents. True, uh, and so that can have an effect probably on how you can relate to your parents, mm-hmm. and
0: just ugh, True. there's so much like oh my the energy they <laughs> this have. Is I know
1: it's so much like the energy they have to like run around with you and like the mm-hmm. adventures they want to go on. And yeah. I know like my mom, her parents were even older when they had her than she was mm-hmm. when she had me, and her. It, like experiences with that was even more extreme because her parents were almost the age of people's grandparents. Wow! Like my grandparents, so her parents were the age of my friend's great grandparents. Wow! Like yeah, it it was a big gap, and so huh. like, it just has That's so many differences. I feel like
0: my family was similar because my dad. I believe he was like the fifth or sixth child Mm -hmm. in his mother's Yeah, my mom too. I think she was the sixth. And then my mom, I believe, was child number nine out of Mm -hmm. all of her siblings. So she would have been one of the – I mean, my mom had 15 siblings. So there was a lot of kids. But she was later in the game.
1: Well, and you think about when – and I I hear this a lot. But when you have older siblings, especially with either big age differences or just a lot of kids – the older kids are going to be kind of like a parent oh, yeah. figure in oh, so yeah. many ways. I have a sister that's 10 years older than me. So in a lot of ways, she was an authority figure. She was a and babysitter. And your mom was
0: technically young when she had her relatively, yeah, yeah. right? I think
1: when my mom had my sister, she was 24 so, so my that's age. our age. So that's then, young, right? Yeah, that's younger. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have children. <laughs> and then uh, when she had me, she was thirty-four. So
0: that's a big difference. It's a big
1: difference. And wow. so yeah, and I think she would have been thirty-two when she had my brother. So yeah, there there's so many factors in that. Mm-hmm. And then like even geography, like my sister was born and grew up to the age of 10 in one state and then we moved and then I grew up to the age of 10 in another state and then we moved again and so yeah like, so many things and you think of like even differences in like east coast culture versus west coast culture and like and that's just within our country like it's it's mind-boggling the more pieces of this that you think about so in in some ways like it's impossible to control every <laughs> factor Like you can't, you can't create a perfect kid or a perfect yeah experience. and you can't
0: measure it either um for example one of the articles that I came across was uh, about musical ability and whether Ooh. it's nature mm-hmm. versus nurture or one is more like, dominant. you always
1: hear like, oh, like a family that can sing kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah, that
0: sort of thing. Um, but there's a lot of factors that come into play. And so they studied 850 wow. sets of twins. Wow,
1: that's I know a lot. I know it's been hard to find. I know,
0: um, and they used that pool of 850 twins to study genetics and environment to see if it helped people become accomplished musicians. And basically, the conclusions that they came to in this study is that accomplished musicians practice more than those who weren't accomplished. Which makes sense. Makes <laughs> a lot of sense. So that would be the nurture, right? And again, we can basically use the word your experiences lead mm-hmm. to that. And so, yeah,
1: nurture feels like such a specific thing but it's just the factors involved
0: yes and then that the likelihood to practice was fueled by genetics oh, so they were able to establish that by comparing identical twins oh. that share a hundred percent of their genes so I, identical yeah. twins are literally one cell that divides and creates two complete clones Mm -hmm. of each other. Same
1: DNA pattern. Yes.
0: And so they have the same chromosomes and same code in their genetics, as we talked about before. Mm -hmm. And then they studied fraternal twins that only share 50% of their genes. So fraternal twins are two separate eggs in the womb and two separate sperms in the womb that both fertilized at the same time and grew as twins. So they're more like any other siblings where – similar gene pool but not identical and they found that um, them practicing was fueled by genetics because the twins who are more likely to want to practice the same amount were the identical twins and the ones hmm. who didn't practice the same were fraternal twins
1: that's crazy because then it's almost down to like the specific egg and sperm it like, is it's not- oh, my it ge- it is
0: and that's I mean, that's basically all I wanted to cover from this in general. This study is that musicians, sure, they could practice, practice, practice. That makes perfect. Mm -hmm. But honestly... It might have just been caused by their DNA that they had the grit to practice in the first place. Wow. So you could say music is in someone's blood, but maybe because their parents and then their parents' parents and their parents' parents' parents, <laughs> parents all had the grit <laughs> mm-hmm. to train or practice or, ha- like, study at something to where they had the propensity to do that when they were born. Oh, my gosh. I know. It's cray. So – and you could say that about anything. You could say that (laughs) – So that's
1: why people are a good egg or a bad egg? Yep. Pretty much. What?
0: And so the reason I was thinking about musicians when I wanted to Google an article like this is um, something me and my husband like to do is attend the Spokane Symphony. And one thing I noticed the first time I went, which wasn't that long ago, was that these musicians – they had to have like grit. Like if you're mm-hmm. watching the hand of a cellist freaking slice up and down a cello for two yeah. hours, you're like, oh my God, like he must have calluses the size of my heel <laughs> on his fingertips. Like- well, yeah, and I, I tried to learn a couple instruments when I was a kid. My sister
1: played piano really well. And so when I was probably like six, um, I took like piano lessons from my sister and didn't stick with it. Mm-hmm. And I also took a couple years of violin lessons. And it's hard to practice that much, especially at that age where, like, you're kind of rebellious and you kind of don't (laughs) want to do what you're told. Yeah. But, like, it takes so much
0: dedication. Mm -hmm. I can't even fathom, like, oh. But was that – Just your mental state at the time or was it your genes? I'll never know. Exactly. So that's the crazy part (laughs) about nature versus nurture is that sure you could have the genes but then your genes could determine how Mm -hmm. you nurture yourself and your own experiences and vice versa. The way that you experience things could alter your DNA Mm -hmm. to then change what genetics your kids, 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 kids have.
1: Mm -hmm. It's crazy. Well, and a lot of the like experiments and tests and studies that they've done have been around twins because it's a really good like way to do these experiments and maybe have a control group or something. Mm -hmm. And so they've done studies with kids that, you know, as they grow up, they look at how similar they are, but they've also done studies on twins that were separated and I mean, maybe adopted to different families and things where later on in life they meet and they study like, okay, how are we similar and how are we different? And what's crazy is that the evidence seems to show that there isn't a major difference between siblings or, I guess, twins that grow up together and twins that don't. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, they're bound to be a little bit similar and a little bit different. Yeah. Like, I've known twins that are very different. Mm -hmm. It's just... And those are the most likely to be, of course, identical.
0: Yeah. So it's fascinating to, to see that. Yeah. And something that crossed my mind when I was thinking about DNA coding... And throughout scientific, astonishing, like, I cannot believe that scientists are out there doing this and can even tell what people's DNA sequence Mm -hmm. is. But if you can identify what specific code in your, like, million-letter DNA code is the one that allows you to have the propensity to practice Mm -hmm. or have grit, um, if you could identify that and... In a previous episode when we talked about cloning and how they go into the DNA strand and slice out a piece and put in a different one to create something perfect, technically you could create a person that can drink milk (laughs) – And have the propensity to practice their instrument. Like you could not only like people think, oh, I want a baby with blue eyes. Oh, no. Do you want a baby who thinks that they're going to be like super hot and have really good self-confidence? Oh, maybe they (laughs) can find the gene for that and sequence it in. And that's why cloning is such a scary topic or not or dna well, it's
1: controversial because then you know you're creating some quote unquote perfect human beings and then that falls into the whole like privilege thing because yeah. it's the people that can afford it yeah. and it's it's but a it, doesn't, it doesn't it doesn't even
0: end there either because those people who decide to edit that one tiny gene mm-hmm. in that one human being guess what that human is probably going to do grow up have a family, Mm -hmm. and create a baby with that edited gene passed down to them. Ooh, that's a good point. Then it is in our DNA, in our society, Mm -hmm. forever. Like, there's no way you could measure where that would go because generations take so long Mm -hmm. to pass things on. Well, and
1: the hard part about all of this, too, is that, yes, we want to study it, but you can't make these babies a test case for the rest no, of their life or that could change the course it could, of humanity yeah oh
0: geez it's insane i'm so glad we don't have to make large decisions about this <laughs> i know seriously we chose the right career paths i'm a party planner you're a coordinator we got this <laughs>
1: <laughs> we don't have to choose anything to do with babies other than how we raise our
0: own yes, children true which Lots of snacks, that's all I have to say. Yes, lots
1: of (laughs) things and I mean we are not parents and I know of parents that talk about how stressful it can be to think about all the ways your children are affected but the good thing too is that like you know with you and I and other people like people are very different and they still grow up to have great lives and so yes it affects things but also everyone does the best they can and we grow up to be good human beings in the end.
0: (laughs) Or on that note you could become a sociopath or (laughs) a psychopath. So one of the reasons I even wanted to dive into this, as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, um, we have covered some crazy topics on this podcast Mm -hmm. episode chain. And basically, something that I think everyone is interested in is how a serial killer could become a serial killer, Mm -hmm. right? And they could be a psychopath or they could be a sociopath, so a sociopath is a person with a personality disorder manifesting itself in an extreme antisocial attitude or behavior and lack of a conscious. So there could be someone out there with a certain sort of upbringing that led them to maybe be more bitter or something. But since they're a sociopath, whether that's coded into their DNA or possibly that was the way they were nurtured, could cause them to have a lack of conscious, like, towards their peers or just human humanity in general
1: i will make the statement that i think if we can affect genes to add a conscience to people
0: maybe that's a good thing Mm -hmm. to mess with just saying and then a psychopath is a person suffering from a chronic mental disorder with abnormal or violent societal behavior Hmm. so this led me to find a study on nature versus nurture Mm -hmm. in inmates so Generally, we can assume that people who end up in jail may have some problems with how they fit into society or how they interact with it because they could do something bad that puts them in jail. Um, So they wanted to investigate the neurological roots of being a psychopath. Researchers studied 121 inmates in a medium security prison in the U.S. The inmates were divided into two highly psychopathic moderately psychopathic, and weakly psychopathic groups. Researchers scanned the brains of the participants while showing them images depicting physical pain, such as a finger getting caught in a door or a toe getting caught under a heavy object. <laughs> and I can relate to this today because I was watching an episode of Survivor and they were wrestling and I saw a girl get her leg twisted weird Ooh. and I literally screamed and turned away from my phone. <laughs> so you can imagine a psychopath would be like, have no, they would not They care wouldn't feel anything. Or... Yeah, they wouldn't mind to see someone getting hurt. So, the participants in the study were told to imagine that the incident was happening to themselves or someone else. Mm-hmm. They also were shown images of neutral objects, such as a hand on a doorknob. The evidence from the study turns out that when the highly psychopathic individuals imagine the accidents happening to themselves, their brains lit up in an anterior insula and the anterior cortex. And many other parts of their brain. And all of these were the ones involved with empathy. The response was quite pronounced, suggesting that psychopathic individuals were sensitive to thoughts of pain. But when highly psychopathic inmates imagined the incidents happening to others, their brains failed to light up in the regions associated with empathy. So basically, you can, wa- you can imagine yourself feeling that pain and be like, ooh, ow, that would hurt really bad. And their brain's lighting up for empathy for themselves. Uh-huh. But then when they're imagining other people, they're like, so that guy crunched his toe, I don't give a dump type of thing. Huh? Yeah. But what alternatively happened for them when they were imagining it for others was that the area in their brain called the ventral striatum lit up instead. And that section of the brain is involved in pleasure. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. Also, these individuals showed an abnormal connectivity between the insula and the ventromedical prefrontal cortex, an area important for the empathetic decision-making. By contrast, the less psychopathic individuals showed more normal brain activation and connectivity in these areas. The strange patterns of the brain activation and connectivity in highly psychopathic individuals suggest that they did not experience empathy when imagining the pain of others and possibly took pleasure in it. Ew. yeah, That makes me feel sick. So the findings could basically help inform intervention programs to help people either become or not become psychopaths. <laughs> um, obviously not become, as you talked about before. It's mm-hmm. interesting to think about how the possibility of that Nerve connection could be nature versus nurture because I've seen a lot of findings, lots of research, and again, I didn't do any specific towards this, but I know for a fact because I'm the true crime Lover out of the two of us.
1: So, what does it say about people that enjoy true crime?
0: (laughs) Doodle, 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 (laughs) doodle. doodle. (laughs) Uh Oh. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, yeah, I don't know. But I will say they have studied people who are serial killers or people who have psychopathic tendencies Mm -hmm. to have previous brain injuries. And that's really high. So, you could imagine that those people could have things going on in their brains that aren't allowing the connections to happen in the right places Hmm. and their pleasure cortex or whatever you want to call it whatever section of the brain that's involved in pleasure is lighting up when they see someone in pain could just be the fact that they've had too many concussions when they were a kid or that they uh, got in a car accident in their life i've heard of people like um, there's a movie called Concussion with Will Smith. I remember watching that a long time ago. And I believe that movie basically just talked about how someone with a concussion, their complete, how they act and who they are can be determined by how much brain damage that they've had.
1: Yeah, it, it basically studies football players and the amount of concussions they have. And essentially, like, towards the end of their life, they were seeing a pattern of people kind of going a little bit crazy. Mm-hmm. and
0: um, like specific O.J. Simpson. He's an example of that. Okay, but anyway, it's just another one of those things to think about whether it could be from the physical damage, and of course that is because as we've learned, there is some nature and some nurture involved in things, and you have to wonder if you can nurture something out of someone, mm-hmm. right? Because that's oh, what we're yeah, talking about here. Is you can't, you do have the power to change some of your genes or how how you're being nurtured and Mm -hmm. how your brain connectivity works.
1: Yeah, because part of the TED talk also talked about the fact that essentially the way nurture affects you is that it can cause DNA to either go dormant or stay active and so
0: you can kind of affect those Mm -hmm. things. So it's really crazy to think that by amazing scientists doing these studies Mm -hmm. they can help measure these things and I mean, then they could take it to the next level on deciding whether they can help them by nurturing them and um, giving them therapy or whatever they need to to heal from it. Or if it's a physical thing, like what if you could go in and give someone a lobotomy and then all of a sudden they want, they don't want to do harm to people anymore. Like, it's kind of crazy. I mean, not that I approve of lobotomies, I guess, I don't know. But there are so many ways you could imagine mm-hmm. that this could be fixed and it's, There's so many ethics tied into that and all that that it's just like, we're just people trying to live. (laughs) Yes, it makes me really glad that we don't have major impacts
1: on those types of decisions yeah. so I, i'm definitely
0: excited to well do to you see... though because how you live oh, your life right. now <laughs> you're
1: right <laughs> you do my day job does not like i don't have to make scientific decisions yeah. and that's what i'm happy about yes but i'm definitely excited to see where science takes us throughout the rest
0: of our lives and see what comes of all of this so it's all super important so mm-hmm. i hope the takeaway for all of us and all of our listeners should be you know how you experience life and how you perceive it have a big effect on who you become. Mm-hmm. So be careful how you treat people. <laughs> and then also keep in mind that something might might just be in your genes mm-hmm. and maybe just moving forward and trying to live your best life Yes. Is the best option sometimes.
1: I, I think that's the best we can do. Yep. But of course, we are not experts. We are just fascinated. Very true. You can subscribe anywhere you listen to podcasts to hear us again next week. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And if you have information to add to this week's topic or a fascinating fact that you want featured on a future episode, please email us at friendsfascinated at gmail.com. And if you want to send us something, you can do so at friendsfascinated at P.O. Box 997 in Pullman, Washington 991. We can't wait to blow your mind next week with more curiosities. You just listened to another episode of Friends Fascinated. Thanks for listening.